0: This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hammerich. We're back with another special episode brought to you by the Northern Pulse Growers Association. Hopefully you caught that last one with Tim McGreevy. But just in case you didn't, these will serve as a bit of a countdown to the NPJ annual convention, which is happening this month. It's virtual and we'd love for you to attend January 19th, 20th and 21st. Head over to northernpulse.com to register now. These special episodes, like the one you're about to listen to, were recorded at the NPGA Montana Pulse Day virtual event in November. There was some fantastic information shared, and I'm glad we can help bring some of it to you via this podcast. Today, you're going to hear some highlights from the intercropping panel. You're in for a treat with some really valuable perspectives hosted by moderator Dr. Mike Osley, who's a research agronomist at the NDSU Carrington Research and Extension Center. Mike will be running the show here, but you're also going to hear from the panelists. Carl Mavenkamp, a farmer in Malta, Montana, Dr. Chengxi Chen, cropping systems agronomist and superintendent of the Montana State University Eastern Ag Research Center, and Justin Jacobs, a research specialist at the NDSU Williston Research Extension Center. So I'm going to turn things over here to Dr. Mike Osley, who's going to get things kicked off with this fascinating intercropping panel.
1: Fortunate to have a, a great setup here today. And again, as we go through, uh, feel free to type your questions into the uh, pathable chat box. And um, after each of the panelists are able to introduce themselves, uh, we'll uh, start going through uh, some of the questions that are listed there. Uh, before we uh, um, get into it, I just wanted to uh, uh, make sure everybody is kind of aware of what we're talking about. When we say, intercropping. You know, that can mean a little bit different things to different people, but uh, essentially we're looking at harvesting two cash crops on the same acre um, and, and harvesting and planting at the same time in most cases. So it's kind of uh, both challenging, uh, but also provides a lot of opportunities for those, uh, I think, who are willing to get it. Intercropping is as is, is old as agriculture itself in a lot of parts of the world the whole concept is you're growing two things in the same space. And because you have two different species, they're using different resources, including water and nutrients at different times of the year, ideally. And you're able to get a more efficient utilization of that space by having those two species present. You're probably sacrificing your top end yield on one or the other crop or both. But overall, you're able to produce more total yield per acre, at least in a successful system. Well, I'll introduce the first member of the panel. His name's uh, Justin Jacobs, and he is a research specialist at the Williston Research Extension Center at NDSU. And uh, he is also a, a, a farmer in northwest North Dakota, and he has a passion for building soil health in his research projects and on his farm. And um, he's had a few years of intercropping research experience uh, as well. So uh, Justin, welcome um, and uh, go ahead and uh, tell us a
2: little bit more about you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for the introduction. And uh, thanks for the Northern Pulse Growers Association for inviting me uh, to be a part of this event today. As Mike introduced me, uh, I am from the Williston Research Station I started working with intercropping about three years ago. This is the third season that I've grown an intercrop for a research demonstration. Started as just kind of looking to see uh, what we could do as far as whether uh, mixed rows or alternating rows were a better operation. We started looking at uh, field peas and canola together And then we also uh, had some demonstrations with chickpeas and flax. So, the last few years, I've been working primarily with the field peas and canola. Uh, We've been looking at uh, whether or not we can reduce the overall lodging seen in field peas and lift that bottom pod up off the ground. But then also, if we can include another crop in the system and uh, pair them together for overall not only a higher yield between the two of them like uh, Mike was sharing, but also a higher economic return for the producer.
1: Okay, thanks. Uh, so our second uh, member of the panel is uh, Dr. Chen Si Chen and he is the superintendent and researcher at uh, the Eastern Ag Research Center for Montana State University and uh, he has been working on pulse crops for over 18 years in Montana including cultivar selection, environment, and genotype interactions, and cropping systems to incorporate pulse crops to uh, cereal-based cropping systems. And recently, he started looking at the potential of intercropping chickpea with oilseed crops for yield and disease suppression. So Chancy, uh here's your opportunity to uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
3: Thank you, Mike, for the introduction. I want to thank the MPGA to give me this opportunity to serve on this panel. As Mike said, I have been working on post crop for many years and uh, most of the work I've done is uh, uh, testing variety and working with the breeders to develop uh, new pea and lentil and chickpea varieties that uh, adapt to Montana. And in recent years, I have been working on to find out what environment and agronomic factors that affecting pea, lentil, and chickpea yield and the quality, particularly protein contents of the dry peas. I have also done some uh, work on the cropping systems of pea, lentil, and chickpeas. Um, For intercropping system, I did some work earlier intercropping forager type peas with a barley for forage production. So basically we found out the intercropping do improve the uh, forage protein contents. And so, but the peas is not very competitive to cereal. So, but if you planted them to the alternate route actually do very well and uh, can increase the yield and land use efficiency. Thank you.
1: So the last member of our panel is uh, Carl Mavenkamp. And he is a farmer uh, near Malta, Montana that works with both dryland and irrigated farming. And he began farming in the 1980s and has gone from farming practices that included summer fallow and now upgrading to no-till to cover crops uh, with pulse and cover crops. So uh, he started intercropping with uh, barley and peas uh, for hay and uh, has now tried a few uh, grain crop combinations. So I guess Carl, I'll uh, let you introduce yourself. So thanks.
4: Um, Yeah, like I say, I'm from Phillips County, Montana. Started uh, in the 1980s, started with conventional farming, moved into no-till farming. And then from there we started transitioning into the pulse crops and continuous cropping. Since then we've grow a variety of winter wheat, wheat, barley, flax, lentils, peas, canola. And then we started uh, intercropping barley and peas together for a forage crop. We interseeded flax and chickpeas and then We also started with uh, soil health and doing some cover crop stuff through a government program. They got us into that for 10 years, and now we've been doing the chickpeas since 2016 as an intercropping. That's worked out fairly good on us uh, for dry land and uh, have done a little bit on some irrigation. We have some irrigation, so uh, we have some experience on that. I guess other than
1: that, that's kind of what we've been doing here and uh, turn it back to you, Mike. You know, as a farmer, a you know, new practice like that, there's uh, a lot more unknowns and risks. But from a research standpoint, too, it's, uh, you know, it can be more difficult to uh, find funding and, and interest in a new concept. So what, what is it that uh, made you guys take the plunge and, and start the research or production?
4: Uh, for me, Mike, I uh, was kind of the same deal for, we were looking for uh, doing a different crop in our rotation just for the harvest ability to not have, uh, you know, peas and lentils coming in at somewhat close time. So we got into the chickpea deal, looking for something that could maybe take a little more heat uh, coming at a different time to harvest that crop and then I heard uh, Derek Axton out of Canada one time, and he was telling us how he uh, would uh, allow us to use some of the uh, flax in there to decrease the disease. So we had the same thing that we, if we could decrease our disease pressure and reduce our fungicide applications, then uh, you know it was making us more profitable and, and then also some soil health benefits, I believe. That was
2: some of our reasoning. The reason that that I looked at uh, intercropping as uh, having some potential and the passion that I have for it is we have to figure out how to produce more, more crops, ultimately. And we also have to figure out how to produce more economically. How can we potentially reduce some of our inputs so that we're making a larger profit? But also, how can we... Continue to add a benefit to the soil so that we can continue to produce a crop for the next 100 years or further. So, one of the things that when I was looking into intercropping was what was happening below the soil. There's still a lot of things that we don't understand as far as what's going on between a root interaction, between a non pulse and a pulse, or just any mixed species. But we see there being several benefits in the bottom line to the yield and to the net return. If we can take one field and produce even 25% more of a crop off of one field with two different crops than we could with one field, we can find ourselves in a win.
1: Okay, thank you. So I'll begin fielding the questions here uh, from the uh, audience. So the first one is from Kim, and she's asking, have you seen any quality benefits for the pulses when they are in an intercropping system compared to a monoculture?
3: Well, um, there's two kinds of uh, intercropping. Actually, one, as I mentioned earlier, is for a forage product that have been protect, uh, practiced by farmers for many years in Montana. And I did a study. Uh, 10 years ago basically intercrop the peas with uh, barley so that actually it worked out very well and uh, um, the peas actually increased the hay protein contents uh, so and also probably benefit from the nitrogen fixation so uh, actually what from our study we found that land use efficiency actually increased a bit that means that you're Produce combined yield is higher than the, the soil crop, so basically you increase the total yield and all protein content. For the grain yield, um, so far the protein basic quality that's one thing. People want to intercrop chickpea with the flag is the disease suppression. So if you suppress the disease, that means your uh, seed quality got to in- improves.
1: Carl, have you uh, noticed anything uh, with your uh, chickpea flax? Uh, have you seen those, any kind of improvement in, in quality?
4: You know, I haven't had any tests done. What I could say that I have seen is that when we first did uh, chickpea flax in our first testing stages, we just put the flax and the chickpeas together down the same row. And uh, the only way that we could determine, just make sure that we were still seeding chickpeas that hadn't bridged or something like that was to shut the flax off. So we would shut the flax off of a tank and we went. And in that first year, you could definitely see the uh, astacaida where we had shut the flax off in that field. And, uh, you know, very prominent that should have been probably sprayed just the fact that the disease was that much more associated with the chickpeas than when we turned the flax back on and we, you know, we just did that going down the field just so that we made sure that we were still seeding our chickpeas. But, you know, it's just kind of a seat of the pants kind of a test, I guess, is what I guess we could say we saw.
1: Okay. The the next question is from Bryce, and uh, he's kind of wondering... What can you expect uh, for flax production when you are, are pairing it with the chickpea? I believe most of the time you're looking at uh, maximizing the chickpea production in this system. So what do you expect of the flax?
4: Um, my experience so far, been, uh, we just got done cleaning, you know, about 5,000 bushels or separating out a total. And the way that percentage worked out was probably, you know, 80% percent chickpeas 20 percent flax out of that separation and over the years of that I would have to say that that usually runs between a 70-30 split and a 80-20 is not a bad number to uh Use as it comes out, I guess that doesn't really tell you per acre, but I guess that depends how your year was. But that's been my experience on uh, the percentage of how it comes out when you clean it, and that's only using uh, we've seed about 20 pounds of flax, you know, with 120 pounds of frontier chickpeas is kind of where we've ended up with just for our uh, rainfall and stuff to kind of get you know the best of both worlds, I guess.
1: Okay. And then uh, the next question is directed specifically at Carl. So uh, Perry is um, asking for producers that are interested in in starting the chickpea flax intercrop, uh, what would you say are the three most important things uh, you would tell them for advice?
4: Uh, start small. <laughs> um, the, the two crops have actually worked out... Um, really quite well together as far as it seems like they uh, complement each other you know they're not working against each other um, you know for sure the disease thing for sure has worked out you know the harvestability of the two you would think that you can't get chickpeas uh, being very big and you're going to get a flax seed thrash, but with a little bit of combined way you set it and that we've actually the two complement each other fairly good you can actually make the chickpeas help thrash the flax in most instances and uh, well, a third thing um, they store good I haven't had any problems storing them and one other thing would be is you know you got to go through the process of getting them separated at the end uh, but Overall, I think it's been a, it's been a good, a good move for us in our operation.
1: Okay, thank you. That's a great perspective. (laughs) So uh, the next question I got here is from Audrey and uh, she's wondering about specifically how you calculate your nitrogen fertilizer uh, when you have a a legume and a non-legume. So how do you plan your fertility program uh, when you have two crops like that?
3: We did not put down any fertilizers. So basically the idea is uh, we are just not consider fresh yield because you, if you add too much nitrogen down, probably going to affect chickpea uh, nitrogen fixation. So either you can add in probably five pounds of nitrogen plus, of course, you're going to need to put down P and K. So five to 10 pounds of nitrogen as a starter if you want. But uh, for my research purpose, I did not put down any uh, fertilizer. Basically, this just use a flag as a tool to see if it can suppress the disease. You really don't need to want to consider how much yield you want to get from the frag for as a intercrop crop, but uh, maybe farmers have a different perspective, but I think you don't want to put out too much nitrogen for for flake and that's going to affect chickpea nitrogen fixation.
2: I think when I'm considering my N and uh, how much to put down, this is looking at peas and canola. We did one year of testing where we applied absolutely no N and the canola suffered greatly. So I, th- I would definitely recommend there needs to be some N in the system. There is literature out there. There is uh, research that shows that your nitrogen fixation is going to be reduced in the peas when you apply N to the field. However, I think in this case, it comes down to your strategy and what your management is going to be. In, in a pea canola system, If you're looking to maximize profit, you're going to probably be aiming for more canola production currently, but you're also looking to get some added benefit with the peas in the system so that you have another crop to potentially market. So in years like right now, your system, you're gonna probably be looking towards how do you fertilize for canola? Um, We've been doing research where we fertilize at a full rate of the recommendation for canola, which is 120 pounds of nitrogen per acre. We've done a 50% rate, uh, so 60 pounds, and then we've done a 0% rate. And we've shown in two years that when the nitrogen is increased, the field pea yields reduced by quite a bit, and the canola yields increase by quite a bit. From personal experience at home, I was uh, able to do about 60 pounds of peas to the acre, so one bushel with four pounds of canola. And we only put down 60 pounds of N, along with uh, about 15 pounds of sulfur. And as a result, we actually came away with a 20 bushel canola crop and a 16 bushel uh, field pea crop. Um, when you compare that to the average of those two varieties, we actually had an overyielding scenario where we produced about 128% on that field compared to what we would have done with a monocrop, more than likely.
1: Okay, uh, Carl, how do you manage your fertility?
4: On our fertility, we're kind of, I was doing kind of like Chintzy said, uh, we don't really put uh, any nitrogen or any feel in the flax chickpea. We let those two handle it between themselves, so to speak. Uh, I'm hoping the chickpea is helping the flax, and I'm hoping the flax is helping out the chickpea. And, and that's supposed to be a very, flax being a highly mycorrhizal-friendly plant, that's hoping those two are, I guess, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, I guess like say we've been trying to keep our inputs low i guess so really we haven't uh, done any uh nitrogen adding to it that crop
2: okay and then
1: the next question is I, I guess maybe a little bit related to that too so uh gordon is wondering um when you're you're strategizing your intercropping Are you uh, selecting one crop over the other for uh, performance or um, are you trying to uh, maximize
2: both? I think it kind of comes down to each year um, independently. I think you need to kind of take a look at several key factors. What's the market doing? What does your field look like potentially? What equipment do you have available? And can you separate the two easily enough so i guess for me the biggest decision factor in uh, my operation has been price i've been looking at which one could potentially give me a higher uh, return at the end of the year and then i cater my system towards towards that crop in particular and then based off of that uh, all of my other decisions kind of follow in line my herbicide management strategy my nitrogen fertilizer strategy will follow that and then harvest and separation will also harvest that so i think yes uh, you should pick one crop and kind of use several factors to determine which crop that should be and then cater your operation towards that crop
3: I agree with Justin and think you need to pick to see which one is your major catch crop and then maximize that crop yield. And for hay production, there's a difference. So you certainly want to maximize both crop yield. So, and as I said, pea is not uh, competitive with uh, cereal. So you put in more nitrogen down, you're going to suppress pea yield for the forage production. So definitely um, that's another thing we might discuss later. Basically, you you want to put the pea and the cereal or barley in a different road or in a different strip. They're going to maximize your both yield.
1: Okay. Thank you. So the next question uh, comes from uh, Lovreet. And he's asking about weed management. So specifically, he's wondering with peas and lentils, what are some of the management challenges in, in maybe monoculture versus intercropping?
3: So for, the, um, for forager production, it's kind of easy. So pea and cereal, basically, if you have clean Ground and they they have very dense they have very dense crop is that the weak competition is not great, but uh, for um, chickpea and oilseed actually that work out quite well. You can put down sonoran those um, pre-emergence herbicides. Basically, they they can apply to both the chickpea and the oilseed crop. So that gives you some protection. So that actually work out quite well. And then later, if you rotate that with a cereal, basically you can use both, um, uh, use that, that as like as sure for the uh, grass herbicide on the, both chickpea and the frag. So definitely you need to think about what herbicide can use then before you choose the intercropping uh, uh, each crop. So yeah, I think for chickpea and the frack, actually that we do have a herbicide can use for both crops.
2: A pre-emergent herbicide is definitely a must, Um, finding one that works for for both, especially when intercropping with peas. Sonalan is registered for both peas and canola, and it definitely can decrease the weed um, pressure later on in the season. Um, the other management strategy that we've been employing has been using a clearfield canola with peas. Uh, the, the same chemistry, imasimox, um can be applied. Um, there's still some kind of research being done um, as far as like uh, rates and what can be safely applied. Uh, Last year, 2019, um, we applied four four ounces of Imazimox and had no injury issues on the peas because when you're applying Imazimox on peas, you're supposed to add Basagran as a safener so that you don't have any injury uh, as a result. But when you're applying on Clearfield Canola, uh, you can't add the Basagran into the system because you would kill your canola. So 2019, we applied four ounces of amazamox and had no injury on our peas. However, in 2020, we actually reduced our rate to three ounces and we did have some, some injury noticeable this year. Still trying to kind of figure out what the issue was, if it is kind of weather, environment, and that's kind of where I'm leaning at towards right now. But there are management strategies such as incorporating clear field crops into your mix that allow you some more weed control. Uh, section uh, share two um, are both good for grass control. I've used both in 2019 and 2020. So there are options out there.
1: And actually, the next two questions uh, probably directed at Carl involving uh, post-harvest processing so the first part about it is how do you separate your chickpea flax and then the uh, second question is about storage of it i think that probably is related because uh, so claire asked about the how do you separate and bryce is wondering since the flax is nine percent storage moisture and chickpeas are 15 will that cause any issues or is it all separated ahead of time
4: uh, no, we do not separate at harvest. We uh, will we bend all of it together. Usually in a harvest, the chickpeas probably go lower than the 15, and I would suggest making sure that that happens before you do put that in the bin. We had a case last year where we were pushing up against the snow to get harvested. Probably put that in right at the fourteen mark is what you went in as, and uh, maybe even 13 to 14 mark moisture, percentage of moisture. time we got fat separated and we come out of there, our chickpeas had absorbed moisture and we went probably up into the 14 range. Of course, we were ejected, had to be below that. We learned uh, how to dry chickpeas and let me tell you, that's not an easy task in March. But uh, I would make sure that your flax is gonna be probably the key indicator and the chickpeas that you want to make sure that they get to their harvest, probably below their harvest. I mean, you know, being the 10, 12 the chickpeas and the flax seems to, uh, you know, they both seem to Shut themselves off when they're together and they become harvestable, You'd be surprised, a very close same time frame period. And so at that point, we just harvest it that way. And basically, we haven't had any issues as long as you let it get to that harvestable dry state.
1: Okay. And then I guess I have maybe a follow up to that. So, you know, kind of the successful harvest of an intercrop. I think really comes down to the synchrony of the maturity, having the two crops dry down at the same time. Do you find it's uh, that you have to rely more on a harvest aid, whether that's a desiccant or a, or swathing versus straight combine or uh,
2: without? Carl, I'm kind of interested in your uh, take on this. I've, I've got my take that I can give, but I'm curious as to what you have to say.
4: For us, You know, in Phillips County, uh, 75% of the time, we're going to run out of water, and we're going to just dry down. That was the case this year, perfect harvest type of deal, Um, ran out of water, matured the same. I think the key part of getting to a successful harvest, though, has been getting the chickpea and the flax seeded in in their own uh, depth so to speak so being in their own rows has actually been one of the key things that we found out because first we didn't do that and what we ended up happening is that the flax got a jump on the chickpeas big time i didn't even know that we were going to maybe even cut any chickpeas just to the fact that the flax had got that big a jump on them and when we got done, it actually turned out being a very wet year, the chickpeas actually did catch up. But then at that time, we had to use uh, a harvest aid and those was just the fact that we had those so far apart uh, at the beginning. So I would say that getting them up together is kind of a key to getting a, a better harvest and being able to just cut them without having to use a harvest aid.
1: Thank you all the panelists. Uh, thank you guys for coming out. Uh, this has been a great discussion and I've enjoyed uh, being a part of it. So thank you all for uh, listening as well. Thanks,
4: Mike. There actually was one that came in a little bit later. and Since I'm personally interested in it, I'll let it slide even though it's <laughs> uh, How do you guys select seeding depth? Because obviously between peas and canola or chickpeas and flax, there's a huge difference in what the optimum seeding depth is going to be.
2: So I guess I've kind of had a little bit of experience uh, with that. Um, on our research side, we are kind of forced to have to go to a two-pass system in order to make that possible. However, uh, at home, um, I was able to do a little bit of engineering with the drill that I have and was able to plant the peas at optimal depth and then um, plant the canola also at a a reasonable depth for where it should be. As far as adjusting for like soil moisture, um, I think it's going to take a little bit of engineering and a little bit of kind of figuring out what works for your setup, what possibility do you have to change your row system, but I think that that's where uh, alternating rows kind of show some promise. If you can plant all of your peas in uh, one row and then your canola in a separate row, you have the ability to adjust then each of those rows separately, each of those openers separately for that depth potentially. And uh, I guess I, I see there being a lot of potential to go with the alternating rows opposed to a mixed row system. In a mixed row system, I would say that Uh, You should kind of find the happy medium between the two and try to aim for that. It does appear that when you plant canola in the same row as peas or flax in the same row as chickpeas, that the smaller seeded crop is helped with the larger seed crop um, breaking that crust and allowing for them both to emerge.
4: We used, what. Uh, a John Deere 1895 with the mid-row banders and then we put the uh, flax down the mid-row banders so we could shallow them up and we also had that option of having that closing wheel on there so that worked really quite well being able to seed two crops at the right depth. I did try with a Burgo with the mid-row banders the problem we had is that the mid banders being up front with a hole drill on the back, we're going to have to figure some more out here, is that we actually moved enough dirt with the hole openers that we actually covered the flax seed up more than what we should have. So we got to kind of rethink that one. Uh, if the mid banders were in the back, I think we'd be all right. But being up front, we moved some dirt that you know covered our mid row banders a little deeper, so we're either going to have to wish shallow up quite a ways on the mid-row banders, or maybe we even, I don't know, maybe we just broadcast, pull the tube out, let it broadcast ahead, but uh, that was one thing we ended up, but the 1895 John Deere worked out really quite well for mid-row banding and seeding the chickpeas down the regular road.
0: Thank you so very much to Dr. Mike Osley, Justin Jacobs, Dr. Chengxi Chen, and Carl Camp for that panel on intercropping. We have a couple more of these special episodes from the event releasing next week. So make sure you subscribe and tune into those as well as don't forget to register for the Northern Pulse Growers Association annual convention. It's happening again. That's January 19th through the 21st. Make sure you register today at northernpulse.com and we'll see you there.